0: Five seconds left in the game. It's You're over.
1: Guys, welcome back to another episode of the Morning Skate. You've got BizDev here with Cad. Cad, how you doing? I'm good, man. This is a really,
2: really big podcast. I'm glad that you're doing the intro. I think you did a great job sliding in the DM. So uh,
1: keep it up. Yeah. Yeah. Like you it. know, you know, it could be one of our biggest ones yet. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really excited for it too. We have got uh, Pavel Barber. Pavel is a stick handling specialist, skills coach uh, for all levels. Three-time Canadian national athlete and a social media sensation, Havel, Been following you for a long time. Big fans. What you do? Thanks again for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Good, uh, good intro there. Appreciate it.
2: <laughs> yeah, we're gonna need some of those horns where it's just going. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> Gotta have it. Yeah, man. Uh, I'm I'm pumped and like pretty much. If you guys follow hockey, have an Instagram account, Twitter account. A majority of like the unreal stick handling moves have either been made by him or you see it on his Instagram. Uh you I don't know. We're we're pumped to have you on, dude. This is this is great. And I think we should honestly just hop right in. How'd you get into hockey? Like where where did your love for this game come from?
0: Yeah, I lived in Toronto uh growing up and I lived a five minute walk from an outdoor rink. So my love started there, just going to the outdoor rinks in the winter, uh, whether it's in the winter on the ice or the summer, playing ball hockey or roller hockey. Uh, it really started there. I loved the game, love playing. I have an older brother, four years older, who played. I'd always go to his games. Uh, I loved watching him. I, I never missed a single one. Obviously loved watching the NHL highlights, all that stuff. So, I don't know. It's just something about the game. It's so enticing to watch. It's beautiful. It's uh, high skill. Uh, I think it's just the best game in the world. Whoa. <laughs> Almost knocked over my camera. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, growing up in Toronto, are you Leafs guy? Is that like what, what I'm saying? No,
0: it, it's, it's weird. I'm a Ducks fan. I grew up, uh, actually, I loved the, the Mighty Ducks movies. Oh, yeah. And then I fell in love with uh, Korea and Solani. And I just loved watching them. My dad's a Habs fan and he hates the Leafs. So, uh, I think being a Leafs fan was off the table there. <laughs> I, I don't doubt that at all. And that, that's a perfect time to be a
2: Ducks fan, man. Korea and Solani, those guys. I think one of my favorite hockey goal calls is off. Wait, I think it's off the floor and on the board when, uh, yeah he was on that shelf after the, the concussion. Uh, Did you see the, uh, they came out with a documentary about that. He, I don't think he remembered any of that.
0: No, he said he didn't. Uh, he said he blacked out, uh, kind of blocked that out of his memory. Um, it was pretty sad the way his, his career ended, uh, ended short. Uh, really affected his life after hockey. And I think that's one of the main reasons I love doing what I do because, you know, when you're teaching players to make moves and stuff, you want to also teach them to be durable and last in today's game. And you want to be able to uh, understand, you know, how to not put them in situations like he was in. Not that he did a careless move. I thought it was a pretty late hit. That's kind of a blindside hit in today's game. But, uh, you know, I think it's funny when people kind of – you know, talk smack about Korea and, and stuff like that when it's like, you know, the guy did such an amazing uh, job in his career and just had one one bad moment where he was kind of caught off guard there and uh, shortened his career and his life after hockey.
2: Yeah, and he, he was a hell of a player. I think he put up over 100 points at Maine. I, uh, the other guy does a podcast with us. He was born in Maine, moved to Saratoga, like, three days after, but loves to tell people he's from Maine, and, like, that's where he lives now. So, like, he had, like, the documentary with, I think it was Paul Crea, uh, Jim Montgomery. They were a pretty good team, but as a a true freshman put up that many points was unreal, and then just the skill he had with Solani being able to put the puck in the back of the net, that's an electric team to watch. Now, actually, before we even get into more of that, when they went on their cup run, who was their goalie back then that, like, came out of nowhere and was, like, stole J.S. yeah or, yeah did he did he win a Smythe the year they lost
0: yes he did it was uh it was remarkable because he everyone knew he was the reason they had gotten that far that's when they lost the Devils in 03 and it was just the job he did he literally won almost every series for that team keeping them in getting heavily outshot so yeah one of the rare times you'll find a losing team with a consmite winner
2: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's crazy to me, but
0: all right. So we're in Toronto, you're going to your brother's
2: games. What we all know that the talent, the skill that you had in terms of the level of hockey, like how high did you end up getting up there before you kind of moved into just being just the stick handling God that we see today?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I just played double A mostly in my career, actually North York Knights uh, in the GTHL there. uh, And then moved up to triple A by the end and then pretty much stopped around 18, 19. Uh, and that's when I moved to Vancouver to play field hockey, uh, which is where I started the first like, national team experience. Um, just decided to move out here, try something new, but uh, always kept ice hockey close to me the whole, the whole
2: time there. And, and we know you have a sick set of mitts on you. When, when you were playing hockey, at least for me, like, I think good teams have players that s- serve certain roles, right? Like you have – like you, normally you have your skill guys, you have your penalty killers, like you have people that kind of buy in. Were you always just like the magician, like
0: stick handling thing, or did, or did that kind of develop afterwards? I think it developed afterwards. I, I, I mean, looking back, I don't even consider myself to have – to have had great hands on that team. Probably one of the best on the team, but we had a guy – Uh, Jake Mooney who played on our double-A team he ended up playing D1 he had by far the best hands on our team and I learned a lot from him and I I remember we formed a pretty strong bond because we'd always try to break down NHL moves and how to do them Uh, in practice we were trying stuff other people weren't so I really credit uh, that guy for really opening up my eyes to it and just seeing what you can do how effective you can be but I was kind of the the goal scorer I was the guy getting fed by by this guy, he was my line mate. He was doing all the the fancy work uh, with oh, the yeah. puck, and I was just the beneficiary there, uh, grabbing the puck and putting it in the net. So definitely, think it happened later in life where I really started to develop my hands more.
1: And and so, on that with the yeah. with field hockey is that something you you would do in the off season and kind of and what what was it about field hockey? Because I presume that it, that had a huge impact on your hands too with the different.
0: Yeah, uh, it's 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 funny. It actually. I never picked up a field hockey stick till I was 18 years old so never had played the sport and I only started playing because I wanted to get out of school to play in a high school tournament I just I didn't like school so I I said oh you're doing this men's field hockey thing I thought it was a girl's sport I was like screw it I'll try it I played I was pretty good uh, it's a sport only for righties I'm a righty so it kind of factored in there um and yeah I just did really well I got scouted eventually by a guy who uh was coaching team Ontario played team Ontario for a while and he's like dude you got to go play nationally there was quite a bit of money involved with it so as a young kid I was like you know what (laughs) I'll take the money Uh, I'll play this sport and I I loved the challenge um you know when I played nationally I never thought I was very good at it I was kind of the pigeon of the team I wasn't the, the highest skilled one but uh, it certainly opened up a, a different layer, uh, you know, to stick handling. Not too much. There's not too much that kind of uh, translates between the two. But there's certainly some things that really did help.
2: Now, correct me if I'm wrong, with the field hockey stick, you can't use the backhand side of that, can you?
0: Yeah, you can't use the backhand. Which, so uh, is that it's, just a ton of just toe drags? Is like... Just all, you- it's all, yeah, it's all just rolling the wrist over and using the toe because the blade's like this big. Mm-hmm. It's not a big blade. So you have to get the contact point pretty much dead on. Uh, and for me as a, you know, ice hockey player, I lived on the backhand. Like that was like where I made all my moves, protected the puck. So it was a tough, tough transition.
2: <laughs> yeah. But when you, I feel like if you're wheeling with a field hockey ball with like a little bit of a blade on it, right. And you're just, you're hammering your the wrist all the time. When you switch over to a hockey stick and a puck, it's got to make it that much more easier. Right. Cause you have a little oh, bit yeah. more leeway absolutely
0: absolutely yeah no it's just way more to use the stick is way longer you don't have to bend over nearly as much because field hockey stick comes up to like your belly button so you're hunched way over you're you're running full speed while you're super low uh yeah it was it was tough (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah it did it killed my back. it killed my hips because i had uh i never had hip issues until i played field hockey and i ruined my left hip uh pretty bad playing field hockey there just trying to make the transition and and you said that your hands developed on like later
2: after the career was over I'm sure field hockey had to do with that but like what made you want to do it and as you started like what are some certain drills that like people begin like beginning to really not beginning because you had already played at a like a high level but like you know what I mean like what are some drills that you used then that you didn't use before
0: for ice hockey you mean like yeah uh, yeah um, I think the, the main thing with ice hockey for me, it wasn't like a specific drill. And I always tell people this, it's like, it was never the drill for me. It was all about getting a, a deeper understanding of being able to use all different parts of the blade, uh, in multiple different situations. So for me, it was trying to understand, okay, what's my top hand position gotta be? What part of the blade is used for this move? How can I eliminate puck spin? How can I do less and keep the puck on a certain part of the blade Uh, so that I don't have to like stick handle all the time. So it was was really kind of understanding all those factors. And then from that foundation I built, I was able to understand and build consistency in my game like I hadn't before. So, I mean, you guys followed me six years ago. I look at me six years ago and my stick handling and I was like, that's shit. Cause I look at that and I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm using my top hand incorrectly. I'm not at the best part of the blade. The puck's too close to my feet. Um, so even in those six years, I mean, I, 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 look at myself and I'm like, that was garbage. Uh, you know, there's <laughs> so much I improved and, and it was just from kind of learning those little things and, and also watching the pros, seeing, you know, how are they progressing and what are they doing? What are the common, uh, things I'm seeing? What are the patterns I'm seeing the best in the world do?
2: No, absolutely. And, and I know one of your biggest, uh, role models, I guess, would be Pavel Datsuk, who Oh Yeah. Played- I mean, he's probably one of the most underrated players I would think that's played. I, I, I'm in New York. I've grown up a Rangers fan. I didn't really get to watch that suit that much. But the, when I did get to watch him, it seemed like he was on the highlight reel pretty much every week doing something crazy. I, I think it was Logan Couture. He, he almost made him break his
0: legs. Like, oh, God, yeah.
2: with a puck. He was your number one guy?
0: Absolutely. So, yeah, like my first guy was Korea when I was young. But uh, as I grew up, uh, probably around – 11, 12 years old, Datsuk was the guy I was watching every single day. Um, like you said, he was just, he was creating new moves. He was doing them with with uh, this like level of, uh, you know, the conversion rate at which he was using these moves was off the charts. Like he wasn't just making moves or making up moves. Like he was breaking ankles. He was creating space. He was leaving guys in his dust like no one else. And a lot of guys use similar moves but he was creating more space. So I was trying to understand like, how is he using this same move that these guys are using, but creating more space. And that's what really led me to use what I, what I always tell the kids is this term body language, like everything in your body language and what it suggests is gonna be picked up by the defender as a cue. So if you want to get them to turn their feet, give them a reason to turn their feet. So you got to really sell that backhand, not just by putting the puck in the backhand, but step into the outside edge, have your head over your shoulder looking, put the weight down, lean in, really look like you're making that backhand pass shot and then cut back. So, um, you know, those little intricacies in those skills I learned from Datsuk. And I, I would literally download games illegally on whatever limewire wire, whatever I could get. And I would just shift by shift. I would skip everyone else's shifts and I would just key in on Datsuk, see what he's doing. And it was the most entertaining thing ever. Like I loved doing it I could watch that guy play for days
2: and it's a great guy to watch because you're right everything he does is with a purpose he's not just doing it just to do it like a lot of guys have six out of hands and you're right like they can use them but they're not using it for the purpose he was using it for he was creating that space and with hockey hockey's game inches so the more space that you have the more successful that you're going to be and just absolute wizard with a puck and he quite the hammer too like he, he looked like a smaller guy compared to other guys but have fun trying to hit him
0: like it didn't yeah. happen that often Man, that's, uh, like Johnny Goudreau said, the hardest hit he ever faced was Datsuk. And, and you could ask Shea Weber, who, you know, that clip where Shea Weber bumped Datsuk off the puck, Datsuk gathers the puck, goes at him, leaves the puck, and just hammers Weber. I mean, he was a brick. He was so strong. His, his trunk strength was yeah. off the charts. Like, you're trying to move him. Same with Sidney Crosby. I mean, you're trying to move this guy when he hit the puck good luck. I mean, Jagger <laughs> was the same thing. You're not getting around his his big ass in your face. He's You're not moving him any inches because he was so strong. He knew how to situate his body. Uh, yeah, he's just, uh, I think that's probably one of the most underrated things about him. And, and that's one of the reasons too, he, he uses a, a heavier stick. A lot of people think he has really, really fast hands, which obviously he does, but he was a player who made a living in those small area 1v1 battles. I mean, his 50-50 puck battle percentage, yeah like, man, this guy, you'd, you'd be hard-pressed to find him lose a 50-50 battle, and it was because of those traits. There,
2: I'm glad they brought 50-50 battles because uh, Panarin ended up going to the Rangers this year. It's been – he had a hell of a year, right? And, like, I remember when he was on the Blackhawks, he put up all those points. And in the back of my mind, it's like, he just played with Kane. Like, don't even worry about it. He went to Columbus. Sure. He still put up a decent amount of, ma- of points. But when the Rangers signed him, like, I was pumped, but the Rangers always sign like, the big-name free agent, and he always sucks. So, in the back of my mind, I'm like, shit, like, I hope it's not Patrick Kane. 50-50 battles this year, that guy might have lost, like, six of them. Like, he yeah. was he, – and he, yeah. another smaller guy. But he just knew exactly what to do when he went into the corner. It was, like, hilarious to watch. The defenseman thinks he has
0: all this time, and then all of a sudden, Panarin out of nowhere. <laughs> there go The puck goes the other way. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's uh, – I think that was the common thing with Panarin. People thought – you know, you play with Kane, especially coming in later, later – uh on right, drafting. You know, yeah, you know, you, you think that. and uh, But he pre-proved in Columbus he could do it on his own, and he continues to do that. I mean, that's that's where he makes a, a big living in small areas. But, uh, I mean, he gets open ice, he'll, he'll burn you too. So, uh, good point there.
2: Players like that, I feel like as a defenseman, just contain – like just try to keep them as far away to the outside as possible because like, – yeah. The moment you step towards them, they are just going to do something. You're, they're going to go right by, and then...
0: Yeah, it's, it's,
1: it's funny. Like,
0: when I watched Kane, the first, first moment I realized how good Kane was was when it was in the Olympics. So he's playing on the opposing team where you're really like, I don't want this guy to do well. Right. You really realize how dangerous he is. And you're looking at him, and you're thinking, why are they giving him you know, this much space? And that space is earned because they know his repertoire. They know... Oh, yeah. If you make one wrong step, he's going to burn you. So that space, a lot of uh, puck carriers, and people will, you know, be little defenders for this, but it's so dumb. Those puck carriers earn that space. So okay. when you're that good with the puck and that good at manipulating defenders and taking advantage when they make mistakes, they have to give you that space because they have to contain you. Whereas if you're not as good with the puck, yeah, you can close gaps easier. So it's like you, you definitely see that with players where you're like, oh, like, Crosby's not even doing much with the puck but look at all the space he has well they're, they're giving him that space for a little bit of a reason because when you get you get on him you know and you make one wrong move see you later
2: <laughs> and, and like they're all NHLers so they all have the skill but like I feel growing up you always kind of want to keep somebody to their backhand and like the players that we're talking about Crosby, Dotsuk, Panarin they can do anything on the backhand. So it's yeah. not even just that. Like you already eliminated something that was so helpful from a defenseman's point of view. And then you sit and duck. It's like, what do you do?
0: Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause my, my big philosophy with teaching, especially when I'm starting is a heavy emphasis on backhand yeah. because that's one of the most underdeveloped things. And cool. I see coaches literally tell kids not to use their backhand when they're young because it's underdeveloped, just like backward skating. Backward right. skating, you're not going to be as good backward skating when you're young. It doesn't mean you avoid it. And with the backhand side stuff, uh, we we address it immediately and we we make them just as strong on their backhand That's as true. they are on their forehand, or at least as close as they can be. Because we're all going to be weaker on our backhand. But like you said, the best players in the world, like you look at Barzell, his backhand side work, I'm Kane, right. Datsuk, Panarin, Crosby all wizards on the backhand, not only can they rip it, but they drive wide and they can force guys to overcommit backhand, so they can roll off on the forehand. And once you become confident on the backhand, you've just unlocked an area of the ice that was pretty much locked right. before that you didn't want to enter. Cause exactly. that's weak side. Well, let's turn weak side into strong side, you know?
2: Yeah. No, and, and teaching that at a young age is huge, right? Because you can't really, once you get to a certain point, I think things, come incredibly harder in terms of like being able to learn a new skill. So, as a kid, I can yeah. understand parents being like, Well, go to your forehand, and try to score goals and stick out. And and it's like work on your backhand now for a couple of years, and then by the time you're like 12, 13 years old, nobody's gonna have what you have. That's
0: just another exactly. weapon in your arsenal. Exactly. And it, it just takes patience. Like, you do have to be more patient. And uh, I mean, that one story from Kane, I'm not sure if you heard it, but it was funny the reason he said he was so good on his backhand was because he broke his, uh, his arm or wrist uh, one wow. year. So he played in a cast and the only way he could really leverage a shot was with a backhand shot. I uh, didn't so know he, that. He attributed that uh, it was in a Blackhawks convention. He was asked that question. He attributed that at a young age to one of the, the starting points that having him develop a backhand. So it's funny. It's kind of like a, a, a forced you have to do this, but I think, as coaches it 's like you know you, you got to be patient you got to understand the value in it, and yes, we do want to be strong in the forehand, yes, the forehand's going to be the more viable option when we have it, but you got to think uh, big picture
2: absolutely a hundred percent, especially even like in terms of being a winger like you if you 're on your strong side, yeah it's good be good to be able to catch it but if you can catch a pass on your on your backhand ten times out of ten going up the ice you can now. At least for me, I'm right-handed. I like going down the left-hand side of the ice because I have that ability to cut over, right, or put it between your legs and kind of go around. But it all starts in that breakout. And if you can't break the puck out on your backhand, then what's what's the point there? So
0: Oh, exactly. And the, one, of the, one of the biggest errors, it's kind of uh, an, another foundational tool I teach, is we get players to stick-handle slow motion just on a, a straight line, and the biggest thing with young kids is, is puck wobble. How, how do you get the puck to stay flat? That's the foundation that's going to be, uh, you know, having you learn every other move. And I swear to God, like 90, 95% of the time, it's caused by backhand. And because it's, it's curved the other way, it's easier to get under the puck. So when we address that immediately, it's like, you know, with the backhand, you got to make sure you rotate, keep it rotated, keep it angled so you're driving the puck down and only rotate when you come off the puck. Then once you learn that, you're strong on your backhand, keeping the puck flat. Then it's like you've opened up a whole other set of skills yep. you otherwise couldn't. So it's, it's one of those things that uh, slow motion really helps and just being patient with it.
2: Unreal. And that's your backhand talk for the day. I, I, appreciate <laughs> I haven't had Hello. a
0: backhand conversation in
2: a while. Uh, <laughs> I saw that you were an ice, uh, off-ice stick handling specialist at the Gretzky Hockey School. Tell us yeah. about that, man. Like, do you remember when you first got
0: the call? Like, how pumped were you? I, I would have been – I probably would have passed out. Yeah, I know. It was a huge honor. And, uh, I mean, that was right at the start of my career, too. Not that I would have been any less excited today. But, uh, you know, getting the call and, and just having the opportunity to be affiliated with, with Gretzky uh, was incredible. And, and just seeing the, the camp they were putting on for the kids and what they wanted out uh, out of it and meeting Ty Gretzky and knowing what his vision was for the camp. It was awesome. So, uh, you know, first camp we went to doing dry land for the kids and just seeing all the kids excited to meet like all these different NHL guys and, you know, get, getting to meet Wayne himself. Uh, it was, it was a great experience. What, what, what's the great one like? Yeah, he's, I mean, honestly, like I didn't get to speak to him too much. Um, but he's a, he's a very, uh, very nice guy, like, you know, pretty kind. Uh, it's, it's tough in that situation because there's like 200 parents right. and kids around <laughs> and yeah. he I, I i imagine this uh in his life He stopped everywhere he goes and in this camp he takes a photo he signs autographs for every single kid in the camp so you can imagine at the end of that and being chased around and parents asking him to sign five jerseys it's it's tough on the guy but uh you know i think he, you get him in a small setting he's he's a you know pretty genuinely happy guy and you know, just, uh, you know, wants to put on a good camp for the kids, make sure that his legacy is going towards, towards something positive in the game.
2: Absolutely. And just the fact that he takes that time to take those pictures every single every single time he's out there. I mean, those kids 20 years from now are going to still have that picture of them being with, like, the best hockey player of all
0: time. Like, that's pretty yeah. special. Yeah. And I, I think they don't realize it probably a lot because they didn't see him playing growing up Mm -hmm. but obviously they will when they're older and just to see the influence he had and you know for me for me i know wayne is just like the goat because he he's the reason the game is where it is today he's the reason it evolved at the rapid pace it did he set the bar obscenely high i mean you literally look at graphs where his dot is up here and everyone else's is down here (laughs) he set the bar way higher uh than anyone else and if he didn't exist we wouldn't be where we are today in terms of the evolution of the game. So just what a legend.
2: I think the the one stat where it's like if you never scored a single goal, you'd still have the most points in NHL history is like – Oh, no. <laughs> what a flex. That's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, it
0: is truly unbelievable.
2: And mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's setting the bar so high, I don't – you'll never see that again now I unless like no, some can. robot no, comes ten. out of nowhere. But like, yeah, just absolutely crazy. So let's talk about the YouTube channel, dude. How did you get in? How did you start this? Like, what was the idea behind this? Like, break break it down because you have like I think 225,000 subscribers, which I mean that's like pretty nice. I did not even know that. Yeah, it's pretty (laughs) decent. You have a you have a video that has over four million views. Like when you began doing the YouTube, like, did you ever think that this was what's gonna
0: happen? No, um definitely not. And 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 just starting out, like I just did it for fun. Um, I, I got the, uh, the phone, put it up against a milk crate and just did shootout moves against my buddy and they're just messing around having fun. And, uh, that blew up because I was using moves people hadn't seen before. And that, that, from that we created the creative shootout angle series. Um, some of the moves are obviously moves you'd never use because they're just stupid and silly and fun and creative and just, just for show kind of like a dunk contest. Uh, But some were definitely applicable. And some we're seeing in today's game, like the fake between the legs move that Barakov uses, things like that, I love. And, uh, you know, I think for me, I I didn't see the YouTube channel growing at the rate it has. Uh, I didn't see myself getting all these views. But uh, obviously, it's it's great to have and, and it's great to have all these people along for the ride. So, so that I can have influence that's kind of the, the main thing is I, I noticed there's a lot of negativity in hockey and there's a lot of misinformation yeah. uh, going around and that misinformation came from these negative people who just were brain dead in so many areas of thinking they would just look at the surface and say like boom, like this move you get crushed and it's like well there's thousands of examples of players using the move and <laughs> it being effective. But then there's another example or another set of examples of players being hit using that move. So does the move really get you hit or is it the situation in which it's applied? So I really love jumping in there and, and telling it like it is. Cause I always tell people I'm not like, you know, the God of hockey. I'm not the all knowing hockey analysis guy, but I am watching the game and I'm seeing what's happening. And I'm, I'm telling you what's happening. That's all I'm doing. And if you can do that, if you can dig deeper than the surface, then you'll uncover what's actually effective in the game. And then you'll have a greater influence on your kids, your coaching or your own game. If you're, you're striving to be the best you
2: can be. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm glad that you mentioned the shootout because this is one question I've actually been dying to ask you forever. I've seen you go in shootouts all the time, making goalies look stupid, like elite caliber goalies. I know you have all the skills to pretty much do whatever you want with the puck. My question is when you go in, do you have one move in mind? And then when you get to a certain point, if a goalie played you a certain way, do you have like a backup move? Like what is going through your head when you go in there? Because I only have like one or two moves. And if I ever even try to switch in my head, the puck goes in the corner and I look like an (laughs) asshole. Like, like, how how, how do you do this?
0: Yeah. I mean, you kind of nailed it there. I I have a move in mind. Uh, I always have like, And it it depends. Like if I'm like really trying to score and not just doing like a crazy fun creative (laughs) video, I'm really trying to score. score. I have an approach in mind, whether I'm going to swing strong side, weak side, how much speed do I want to go? Do I want to go fast and slow up? But then, so I have that move in mind and then I'm analyzing the goalie. I always want to make sure I, I see the goalie. So I have that move in mind. I'm ready. I'm reading his body language, but if something opens up, say he's cheating one way or five holes open, I'll just let it rip, and I'll, I'll shoot it there. So I look at uh, like guys like Kane and his approach. He's switched now to kind of coming strong side, slowing down, and slowly coming at the angle until he's middle, and he has it loaded. And then from there, he decides what he's going to do. A lot of players are doing that now, and I think that's the best, safest approach, especially for beginners, because it maximizes options and allows you to read and scan the surroundings. Um, but then we see guys like Barkov, who have just an incredible – list he probably has he has more moves than i have and and he's doing it against pro goalies like best goalies in the world so um but I, re- I really do believe just like having a move in mind but getting ready to change that move up based on what the situation is is the best approach you can have what's your go-to bread and butter
2: game seven overtime penalty shot you're going in you have to score you're trying to score what's the move in
0: your mind Anything to the backhand, I, I think just a simple fake five-hole or fake low-side shot, curl to the backhand. Um, it's something I can do quickly. I, I can sell the shot relatively well, and it's just something where I'm, I'm very consistent with it. It's a consistent move that has a pretty pretty good fake to it. So it, it'd be a simple move, kind of – I mean, I posted Spezza doing it the other day. It'd be the same move as that. Uh, just freeze the goalie, quickly curl, anchor backhand, try to get it
1: up. All right. Dale, take it away. You got questions, them. Yeah, totally. I mean, so one of the things I really respect about you is like you you talk a lot about the elevate evolution of hockey. And um, I just thinking back to my youth, I wish I had someone like this whole new social media, everything. It's like. We had our our youth hockey coach growing up, you know. And and a couple Gretzky
2: tapes that everybody had on the VCR that you'd plug in. Right.
1: (laughs) And other than that, it was just on TV. It was the NHL watching and kind of going over that. But now here we are in 2020, and I'm watching your videos. And the way you break down the videos and your how-to videos and your uh, training videos, and you, like, you just really are – uh, progressive towards the game and you talk about young young kids learning these skills and I mean there's a quote here from you're saying like again I'm not saying that every player needs to do a backhand toe drags and highlight real moves but essentially they need to have those skill sets in their repertoire um, because it only makes them more versatile and effective um, so I guess what I I, uh, I appreciate that value that you bring to Instagram and the whole hockey community influence um, and just respect the fact that you jump in and you you talk back to the people about like hey you know yeah. so what if he's going to get hit like you got to learn these things and no, yeah I think brings a lot to the game honestly.
2: That's a, that's a great point because a lot of people just put out videos and like that's it. Like they don't respond to anybody coming at them or people want to learn the fact that like, you're taking time, dude, that you're not just posting a video. I feel like you post a video and, and you, you got it locked and loaded. You're like, all right, let's, let's see who's coming here and let, let's talk some hockey. So I think you nailed it.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I mean, great point, and And thanks for the kind words. Cause when I was starting, I think, uh, I, I really wanted those videos myself as a kid growing up, I was searching YouTube. Uh, obviously we didn't have Instagram and stuff like that. I wanted these videos. I was trying to learn. There was a video series from a guy named Sean Skinner, who's a very highly skilled stick handling guy. Uh, obviously some some of his, his practices are outdated now, but he was a guy who was going above and beyond what other people were kind of teaching in terms of puck control. But really that's all there was out there. And I think for me, it was kind of out of necessity. I had to do this because I wanted it growing up. I wanted this information and I want to be able to pass it on to the kids. And I want to genuinely help this game grow because the game like you guys, I mean, it's giving you so much, whether it's, you know, just having fun with the boys or just like watching hockey. You love it. It's giving you so much to your life. You just want to find ways to give back and, and stay within the game. So this was my way of doing that. And uh, you know, I think just, just having an influence on people, getting better but also just thinking not just where the game is today where's the game going where is it in five years because I mean to last in this game you can't just be preparing for what works this year you also got to be evolving with the times as we've seen in the past six years I mean god like a fake shot pull between the legs move was like highlight reel top 10 move now it's just a basic move like an eight-year-old can do the Datsuk move in 03 when he did it against Turco that was mind blowing. I couldn't do it without falling on my face. I have eight year olds sending me video clips of them doing it better than I can do it today. It's, it's remarkable, but that's the evolution. And that's all just education. It's learning through video analysis, watching the pros do it, mimicking it. And then understanding, you know, what are the common pitfalls of this move? And what are some things I can do to address those pitfalls so I get past them and get better?
2: Yeah, and, and, like, I remember when Svechnikov did the Michigan or whatever, you were, like, super active, like, who's going to be the next person to do it? And sure. you were even posting videos of guys trying to do it in the game but not doing it. But the fact that they were trying to do it in the game was incredible. Like, Matthews has tried to do it. Uh, I think Pasternak's tried to do it. Like, more yeah. and more, you're seeing, like, these cool moves come out of nowhere.
0: Oh, yeah, and, and it's it's funny. Like, that's it's a battle I struggle with every day, but I had skills coaches saying, like, there's not enough space in the game – that move will never work in the NHL. Yeah. And I'm like, are you watching the game? Like, like, seriously, like, look at where these guys are trying it. And please understand that the NHL is not a flawless league. Defenders make mistakes. Defenders lose their check. They fall, you know, they miss man, man switch, like they miss their switches, if they're going to switch who they're covering. Like. There's so many mistakes you can have and every single example I I saw these guys try it in. It was either, you know, really, really close to going in, hitting the post or the goalie saved it. There's a couple examples of a player using it at a horrible time where the defenseman just easily tapped their stick, knocked it off. So you understand the situation and then you can start to understand this is going to go in eventually. Like, I couldn't believe people didn't see it. But obviously, you know, Spetsch has done it twice, Forsberg's done it. We're going to see it more. Matthews is going to hit it as well. But it's all about just understanding, like, what situation can you pull this off? Because just picking it up on your stick, once you learn that, it's easy. It's not a hard skill to do.
2: Yeah, and you've already seen that move sort of evolve too because it used to be just post up behind the net, hammer it, and go shelf. But now you're seeing and Matthews coming in in stride. (laughs) And just like, you're like, holy shit.
0: Just changing the pickup. Like, I, I made a YouTube video of it because when I was learning, I remember being eight, understanding how to scoop it. And I could never do it when I was eight, but growing up and getting older, learned how to press on the puck, pull it, and then scoop under it. And this new method is so much more effective. Yeah, it's like watch my YouTube video, man. I swear you'll learn it. It's it's all just understanding you have to pull the puck in with speed so that the puck and blade are coming together kind of as opposing forces. And then it's just angling the blade appropriately to flip the puck on edge a bit. And then you're just guiding under. And it's hard at the start. I remember learning it. I was like, how the hell do you do this? Now I can do it like – 10 times out of 10 it's not very difficult but once you learn that you understand this is a way better method of doing it because you're not showing your hand early as you know when you push down on the puck you have to get way low on the ice you have to take time you have to stop your stride you know whereas with this new method you're behind the net the goalie's vision is covered by the net they don't see that you're putting this puck on your stick and elevating it in the air so to them it it might look like you're just doing a wraparound So they go low and kind of get low to the post. Right. Yeah. And it's tough. And I've heard goalie coaches have the discussion. Now, how do we save this move, which obviously like it's saveable, but it's like, it's tough (coughs) to know that the move is coming. Then that's why I think, you know, being unpredictable with pulling it in and getting it up on the stick is such an important uh, feature. And that's why that move. That's why Forsberg used it. That's why Spets used it uh, that way.
2: Yeah, and and the game just continues to evolve. Even with that fake slap shot from the point, I think Wierenski was one of the first ones to do it. Yeah. If you want it a billion times, that's impossible. (laughs) Like, it's insane.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, I got a YouTube video on that, so you you, you got to watch that. But, uh, again, like, for me, it's a lot of hitting the puck and chasing it at the start, but uh, you, (laughs) you start to learn the timing of it uh, you know, when you got to hit it, how you come over it and stuff like that. But what a cool looking move on when you pull it off (laughs) Unreal. I remember when I first saw that, I was like, Holy
2: shit, man. That's, that's crazy. Uh, what was like your, uh, what was your, Oh shit moment? Like everybody has an Oh shit moment where they, they first start doing something and then it's like, Oh shit, it's working. Like, or just like your first memorable moment where you're like, I'm really onto something right now.
0: You mean like with my like skills coaching or just like, yeah, I think, uh, Oh shit moment. Um, Probably when my first shoot up move went viral, it was the one where I'd flipped the puck in the air, caught it. And then when the goalie went to grab it, I just went over my own head over his head. A lot of people were sharing it and uh, I was new to Twitter and it was getting retweeted like crazy. I never experienced that amount of notifications before and stuff, so that was probably the start uh, of it, and and that just gets you thinking. It's like, okay, well, that's one move. What's the next move? What's the next move? What else can you do with a puck and a stick? You know, so it's. Uh, I think it's an exciting and it's it's a fun kind of thing to always think about, always uh, you know take it to the next level and and just find new ways to to handle a puck. No, I mean, yeah, absolutely,
2: Dale. You got one.
1: Yeah, it was just, like, so going back to, uh, like, a younger version of yourself, would you ever think that you've, you could, like, I guess, I guess in any um, youth hockey career, those of us who don't make it into the NHL kind of go through this realization of, like, all right, I gotta go to college and get a, get a different degree, or I, you know, I'm, 14 years yeah. old, I'm not playing at the highest program. I'm not going to make the NHL. That was my dream. You know, got to pick a new dream. You, you as a skills coach, pretty much carved this new lane of skills coaching plus social media influence that wasn't fully a career, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, what, what is it, or what would you tell someone younger that like, you know, you can do this? And like, what did you ever think that you'd be coaching NHL players like Jonathan Tays and no. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah.
0: Good question. I mean, I think, uh, looking back on it, there, there was no plan for me and it was, uh, you know, it's, it's tough to say that, uh, uh, what I would say to a younger, younger me, but I think if, if I were to say something to younger kids or myself back then it's it's follow what you love, do it really well and understand that you have to provide value in order to, Uh, you know, reach people. So you have to be a source for something. So I looked at, you know, all these other channels. I'm a big tennis player as well. I love tennis and I'm watching these tennis tutorial videos and this guy was helping me. Like I learned a one handed backhand in three weeks because of this guy, the way he broke it down, how he didn't use like big fancy words and stuff like that. He just got right to the point and he gave you a good progression on, on how to learn it. So guys like that really helped me kind of carve out like this niche because I was like, well, there's thousands and thousands of skating coaches, which there should be. Skating's by far the most important part of the game. There's uh, like hundreds of shooting coaches, if not thousands of shooting coaches. But there's no one's doing stick handling. And for me growing up, it was like either have it or you don't. And I was like, I remember being young being like, what the hell does that mean? You either have it or you don't. Like, why don't you apply that same thinking to skating like what the hell like we practice it we get better like any skill mm-hmm. so no one was doing it and i think back then it was because stick handling wasn't necessarily uh you know uh, a big uh difference maker in in the league back then you know there's a few players with pretty good hands but the biggest you know differences Five. were the skate skating yeah. uh you it's know shooting yeah. yeah way different game but then you know, over time we started to see like Mario Lemieux, like big guy, soft hands. Like Mm -hmm. that was one of the biggest, uh, I think, changers for for people uh, when they're changing their opinion on it. It was like, wow, look at the stuff this guy can do. He's powerful. He's got good speed. He's got good vision, but man, he's got good hands. He can go through guys. He can protect the puck well. And for me, I always just thought like, why the hell is no one teaching this stuff like they're teaching skating? And I was lucky in that the game kind of shifted as I came in. It really took a hard turn towards high skill and, you know, the application of these high skill moves in games, you know, where can you pull them off? Where can you not? That's where I kind of came in and it was just uh, really good, good timing. I think. That's I mean,
1: awesome.
0: Yeah.
2: And, and you <laughs> co- you coach different NHL players too. Jonathan Taze, Vertanen, Coyle, Hayden, Fogle, St. Louis, Barkov. Like, what's that like? That's got to be pretty cool.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. Like, St. Louis, I didn't teach St. Louis. I, te- I teach his kids. Um, so cool. Just over Zoom. Like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that guy's a legend. Like, just yeah. having him re- reach out was, was unbelievable. Like, yeah, like working with these guys. A lot of them is just over over video because it's tough to work with them in season. So, like, the only guys I've worked with in person so far is uh, Taves and Bertanen. So, being in the presence of these guys, I think the, the biggest thing for me that I love working about with these guys is they're already at a certain level. They're NHL players. They're highly skilled. And they want to get better by any means necessary. So, they're very open-minded. And when when they when they do a drill, they want you to tell you whether it's dog shit or not you know, they want you to be able to tell them like, that's not good. This is how you correct it. This is, you know, a change you should make. Uh, You know, this is how I saw you use it in the game. This is how you can create a little bit more manipulation, whatever it is. It's very small improvements based on their pre-existing abilities and the role they play in the game. And I really love that because I think a lot of misconception with me and I, I understand it because of my social media presence is that I'm always teaching fancy moves and like, you know, dilly-dallying, whatever you want to call it, through guys. Whereas what I really love doing is focusing on the basics, the fundamentals, and finding little areas to improve upon. So working with these pro guys really allowed me to expand upon that and really challenge myself to be like, okay, here's Jonathan Tates, elite player in the NHL. How can I make him better and more versatile as a stick handler so that he's going to get more time and space, he's going to be able to fake guys out better, Uh, have uh, more possession of the puck and all that stuff. So with him, you think of him as a center, where he's getting the puck, the situations he's getting the puck, and how can we uh, enhance his abilities within those areas where he's more high percentage getting the puck. So, you know, if you're uh, getting your puck uh, on on the backhand side, you know, 80% of the game or whatever, then obviously you would focus on that. Uh, Defenseman, you would focus on a, a very different, side of the game uh for them right like transitioning from forwards to backwards with the puck scanning left to right like it all depends on the player and the situation but uh it's certainly inspiring just being around those guys because you already know it, it it takes a certain level of commitment uh knowledge of the game to get to where they are so you don't have to you know get them to to that level they're there already now it's time to push further. Yeah, I have two really cool points about
2: that. As you're helping out a uh, Stanley Cup champion Olympic gold medalist and you're like so casual about it. I don't even know what I would do if I ever had to do anything like that. And then the fact that St. Louis reached out to you I think is really cool because m- towards the end of the career, I think St. Louis kind of got into like the new style. But he spent a majority of his career back when the NHL was kind of like a zoo where you could you could hack, you could hook, you could get away with like different things the fact that like him hall of famer is reaching out to you for his kids, he sees the, where the game's going. So the people who are like, Oh, there's no need for skill. Well, St. Louis is a hell of a hockey player. And if you send in his kid to a guy who knows what to do with a puck, maybe, maybe you should open up a little bit because that kind of makes sense to me.
0: Yeah. I I mean, and that's, that's where I focus my energy and my attention. Like I'll I'll respond to people who say otherwise, but I'll, I'll more so do it in a way where it's just like, you know, number one, I want you to know, my thoughts and what I'm basing it off of. And number two, there's kids reading comments. So I want them to know what the right information is to so see both sides of the story. But for me, that's where I focus my energy and attention on is guys like that. I value their opinion far more than anyone else for good reason. They've been through it. They see where the game is going. A guy like Marty St. Louis was a huge inspiration to me as a, a small player to think what he had to go through in the amount of you can't do this or, you know, Odds are against you, or you know, you probably shouldn't uh, attempt this. The amount of times he was told no or overlooked, I can't even imagine. Uh, can't, I can't even imagine it. He and, wasn't a so small I, player; he was the smallest player.
2: It wasn't like he, he yeah, was little it, undersized. Like he was something that hadn't been around yet, and people were yeah. like, "Well, this isn't gonna happen. This isn't gonna work." Yeah. At
0: all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to have the the mental toughness, he had belief in yourself second and none and that, that's why I get furious when people kind of belittle him for that incident with the Olympics where he was overlooked once again despite the year prior leading the league in points it's like what do I have to do what do I have to do here <laughs> right yeah you know to be chosen so I I don't care if he was like you know a little bit hurt by that and wanted to leave I probably would have too uh, if I was overlooked my entire career so yeah I got a guy like that Um, having him reach out, it's just a huge honor. Just talking with him on the phone. He's very like to the point, which I love. Uh, he's just like, what do I need to do? What are the differences? So just send him the videos. We talk a bit, um, give him progressions, what to work on. But he's a guy that I know is very determined to make the next generation better. And there's no, no better person to have that influence than him because he's been through it all. I, I could only imagine.
2: Yeah. It's just – you have people telling him no, but he's also facing six-foot-six defensemen or hacking him, and he's still going around. Like, the 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 amount of heart that guy had I, – yeah. i I'm a smaller guy. I'm 5'8", and I've always – I love St. Louis. So he was small. I, I love Zuccarello. I think Zuccarello is a fucking absolute wizard with the puck. Oh, like, nuts. He's yeah. so creative. Uh, yeah. And even Johnny Gaudreau, just the, the speed yeah. of, the, of being able to be so elusive.
0: You know what I mean? It's, yeah. It's fun to watch. He almost quit it. I remember reading the uh, Players' Tribune article on, on Goudreau. His, his dad worked at an, an arena, and there, were, there came a time in his career, I guess he was overlooked and didn't make a team, and it was that defining moment where his dad was basically saying, like, listen, you can do what you want. You can stop. You can continue, but I'm telling you, you can do this um if you want it you can get it and it's hard to imagine a guy like goudreau now looking at him today and his skill and his uh effectiveness on the ice today and his all-star caliber playing to imagine that he ever had doubt but i mean with with smaller players and and imagine like you know when you're younger it's it's a big jump from when you're 16 to you know making the nhl irregardless of how big you are but for him uh, as well, it's just like being overlooked or just getting bumped off the puck a bit easy or, you know, constantly being told you're too small. It can wear on you, but it only wears on you if you allow it to. And that's, that's the big thing. You, you, you always have to be aware of the opinions that matter in your life. And you could probably count the amount of opinions that matter in your life on one hand because that's the amount of people who actually know you and what you're capable of your potential and, you know, credit to guys like that for seeing it through because they inspire a, a hell of a lot of other players who are told they can't do something.
2: Absolutely. And, and also like the bi- I feel like the bigger kids growing up in youth hockey, like weren't as talented. I think that the smaller kids have to kind of find like that talent. If you look at even the NHL or Zuccarello, fucking St. Louis, Nathan Gerby was incredibly skilled. Like you see all these like smaller yeah. guys, they got those hands. They've been working on those hands because they needed those hands. Yeah, those hands and you put them with, uh, like, I don't know, a guy the
0: size of Eric Lindros, like, good luck. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Like, uh, remember someone was telling me about it. I don't know how true this is, but about Malkin, him being smaller growing up and to be smaller, like you said, you need hands. And then what happened? He grew. So now he's a big guy with hands. <laughs> yeah. Well, is that a bad thing? Because, I mean, you, you can probably attest to this when we were younger, when you're big, it's like. Power forward role. Yep. Your You're power yep. forward. Exactly. Just do this. Just do exactly. this. Or is it like, no, like be more well-versed, be more versatile. When you get to the NHL, and Daniel Alfredson said this too in a, in a great article. Legend. That's that's when you, you uh, fill a role. But when you're in minor hockey, this is your chance to develop. That's what minor hockey is for. It's for development. It's not for limiting your abilities and becoming – like this player who only does this one thing, you know, you got to try try everything. And obviously you got to fill some sort of role on your team and, you know, make safe plays when you got to You can't just go one versus three every time, but you do have to pick and choose your spots. And so you do have to develop and try new things. And I think that's the biggest takeaway from this uh, for these youth players is understanding when you're young, Make sure you're working on everything. Most important, again, skating and then, you know, puck control and shooting and just, you know, your body language being, being deceptive. And then when you get to the NHL, you'll have to fill a role. Like people forget NHL teams are comprised of guys who are number one line guys mm. in minor hockey. They're all, you know, first line guys. Right. But you can't <coughs> all be first line guys in the NHL. You got to fill a role and guys who can play like a third line role who are better with puck control skills, puck protection, uh, you know, just being able to make an elusive move to create a shooting lane or a passing lane, they're going to be more effective and more valuable to your team. You're going to earn more money and you're going to be more effective. No, absolutely. Casey
2: Zizekas for me is a perfect example of that. Yeah. In like, your fourth line of him and Clutterbuck and Martin, and Martin obviously brought some thunder and, and Clutterbuck was a hitter, but like Zizekas can flat out play. He, he's he can. incredible. And like, absolutely. even rewinding, like, you look at Keith Kachuk, right? Big power forward, just an absolute physical presence. You look at his kids; they got some jam to their game, but they also oh, yeah. have a ton of skill. Like the it's shit perfect. that yeah. Kachuk can do is insane.
0: Yeah, it's perfect example because it's like I always use that analogy of the ceiling. You know, if they put that ceiling over them, then they would they would still be effective in today's game, but they wouldn't be as effective. And you look at Kachuk; it's like. The guy can uh, – I mean, both both players, but, you know, they can get the job done in the corner. They're very tough, hard to knock off the puck. Pretty good in 50-50 battles as well. Yeah. They're gritty. They don't give up. They're relentless. But they, they have that skill to be able to do those finesse moves as well when the time comes for it. And I think the mistake people make is, like, you know, thinking of the game in terms of percentages. So, like, how much of the game, percentage-wise, do you spend – dangling and walking around guys one-on-one not nearly as much time as you do grinding it out in corners now that doesn't mean you have to spend you know all the time grinding it out in corners because the majority of the game is that you still need to have those finesse skills for the appropriate time and quite often you'll see that small percentage of you know the times you have that ability lead to those big results whether it's getting a high quality scoring chance getting an assist getting a goal whatever it is so, you know, just not setting that ceiling above and remembering just because you can bump and bruise and grind and skate doesn't mean you can't have hands, too. Because even yeah. if you don't dangle around guys, it's still going to be good to have good puck control skill in every other uh, sense of the game. <laughs> no, absolutely. How
2: how excited were you when the NHL went to three on three overtime? Oh, I you I was,
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I think I, I, yeah, I was a big advocate for it. And I, I think for obvious reasons, like just wanting more skill to shine through but also just, just being able to see the, pay, the, the, the players people pay to see right. in, a, in a more, you know, combative, uh, you know, more one-on-one approach style. Like, you look at the NBA, that whole game is marketed around one-on-one battles. It's like Curry versus LeBron because it's a very individualistic sport. It's not a depth sport. Hockey is a depth sport where you need four solid lines to win. But three on three, we get a little bit more of that one on one matchup. Obviously, it's three on three, but it's game comprised of one on one matchups, and you get to see the highest skill guys go head to head. So who wouldn't want to see like three on three Crosby versus McDavid, you know, a yeah. battle like that, or Ovechkin, uh, Crosby, whatever rivalry you got. It's just so amazing to see, and one mistake leads to a two on one. So much time and space. Um, every mistake magnifying. Just what a what a smart move by the NHL to kinda shift towards where the game is going and, and understand uh, you know, what people find entertaining. You know, I get a, a lot of people aren't a big fan of the three on three. I get that it's not real hockey if wet you want to.
2: What you're a wet blanket if you don't like three V three, man. You have
0: Latin like Crosby and
2: Malkin out there whipping <laughs> the fuck around. Like, how do you not like that?
0: Yeah. I, I've, I've never seen fans more out of their seat. I've, I probably witnessed six overtime three on three games and I've been to a ton of games where it's five on five OT, <sighs> like night and day, the amount of excitement and edge of your seat action. Like I, I had to stand up the last leaf game I went to cause no one sat down for three on three. Cause it was end to end action the whole time. Crowd's going nuts. They're buzzing. No one's sitting down. Cause if you sit down, you can't see. So, and that tells you everything you need to know in terms of the game and NHL smart. It's a business. You want to market it? Well, give them a, a better product that people love. Absolutely. And that mm-hmm.
2: shined through in that world cup tournament, with Sweden and team North America, when McKinnon, oh, went and went McKinnon and but that was, <laughs> that was back sick. and forth. The Sedins had oh. a two on one, like right before that, that was incredible. And you're, you're seeing more of the skill shine through. Right. I, I don't think growing up as a kid, power play breakout wise, I don't really remember a lot of teams skating into the neutral zone, dropping it back to a guy with sick mitts to get in the zone. And now that's everybody's power play that's breakout. Right. You skate up yep. to the neutral zone, you get them flat footed, you drop it back, you go in with speed with somebody with a six set of hands. Back in the day, Gomez could go end to end, but like, I don't really yeah. ever remember. It's more of a dump and chase thing. So I think you have yeah. like more skilled guys that have the ability to, to read and, body language right like you can kind yeah. of go this way the moment you're in the zone you got to set up
0: everything's good it's all about yeah the skill. well that's that's what kuznetsov said in his players Tribune when he came to north america he he literally couldn't understand why people would dump it in when he could with his abilities have yeah. possession of the puck and set up So that being said, it's like, you know, certain players probably should dump and chase because they don't have those abilities. And that's probably the more viable option. It depends if you're getting closed off or whether you have a numbers disadvantage. Yeah, you got to get rid of the puck. But if you're in a one-on-one situation, you ideally want to take that situation and gain the zone. And I made a compilation of Matt Barzell zone entries and incredible skill. I mean, it's incredible how easy it, it is but that's, that's something you don't see on score sheets that you don't see on stat lines. And, you know, it's <coughs> so valuable to a team, whether it's a power play or it's 5v5 five five play, for a guy to be able to gain the zone with that much ease, set up by his time, and he decides when he's going to, you know, stop, basically. He's literally skating circles around the zone like it's minor hockey. You know, those are players you, you want on your team. And, uh, I mean, yeah, like you said, it's like three on three and, and th- that power play move where you dump it. Back to the, the high skill guy to z- gain the zone are just a few of the moves that teams are using to adapt to this style of a more possessive right. game, more puck possession, less, you know, get it off and have to chance it on a 50 50 battle. No, I mean, absolutely. Who, who's, a, who's a player in the league
2: that people might not know that much about, but that you watch quite a bit and you think that like their skill level's through the roof and he might not be like that brand name right now?
0: Ooh geez that's a tough one
2: um not a brand
0: name high skilled player
2: i love zuccarella he's not on the rangers anymore he wasn't like a i don't think uh, like a mcdavid crosby or anything but the, the shit yeah. that i could do
0: with a puck was incredible yeah i mean Zabinajad probably oh, probably a... up there too especially yeah. this season uh obviously with with what he's doing he's not really a necessarily a household name but he'd be one of those guys especially the last two years actually not just this year who's just enhanced his game uh quite a bit um i think yeah, he'd probably the one what's that
2: rope hints on the stars i think he's oh yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah he's really <laughs> not
2: like your brand name ton of skill a lot of speed
0: yeah i posted him like three times uh this year and last year he's doing something incredible stuff for sure all right,
2: Garrison, before I ask him his top five, do you have any more questions?
1: I was gonna ask a little bit about floorball just because it's something we yes. don't really we don't really know here much in New York. And um basically in the in the hockey journey, there was a clip about floorball being like, you know, giving more access to you know uh younger kids in schools that might not have access to ice hockey. Yeah,
0: yeah, I, I love that sport. Initially, when when someone took it to me, uh, because of how accessible it was for kids, how affordable it was, and how much fun the kids were having, uh, we play ball hockey a lot with kids. But the problem with kids are they're they're weak. Like five to eight year old kids, obviously not their fault, but they're weak, right? Right. So they can't shoot a ball hard. They can't pass it hard. Uh, they can't they handle well either. Like the ball doesn't move too much, or or a puck doesn't move too much. So floor ball takes the strength out of the sport and it makes it a more uh, even playing field for these kids. And you see kids who are five with a floor ball, you can shoot top shelf from anywhere. It's so easy. And the skill development angle for me was like, wow, this sport is great because not only can I reach more kids with it, but at the intro phase, it's such a great introductory sport to get kids excited about hockey. You know, they're, they're having to think faster because the, the ball is moving faster they're getting to run and shoot top shelf. They're getting to try all these skills and go through the proper range of motion for shooting. Cause we all know that dig shot that you do when you're two weak. but with a floor ball stick, I'm seeing them transfer the weight from back leg, use their hips to generate power, actually going through the proper range of motion. And I love it. Like coming from, I play like all sports and like every sport has like a variant on the, the ball or, or, or whatever object they use. So like the tennis ball For beginners they have this really squishy ball that allows players to go through the proper range of motion it's more forgiving so the ball's not going to fly everywhere so it's going to squish really hard on the racket so they go through the proper range of motion that's what i see in floorball for hockey players is they actually get the proper movement patterns done right and they just have fun uh doing it so just a great introductory tool and a great development tool especially for for young ages. Yeah.
2: I don't, we, we don't have that, but I know as a kid if growing up at floorball was a thing that I could have oh. done in the summer, 1000%.
0: Yeah. It's same. Yeah. I mean, it's not big in Canada. That's the problem. It's obviously I play for team Canada, but it's like not many people play in Canada. We don't have leagues, too many leagues going on and, and things like that. Obviously there's no money in it here as well. But when you look at the uh, like Sweden and Finland and, Czech, uh, Switzerland. It's a professional sport there. Guys are getting paid to play. I went to the World Floorball Championships past two years representing Canada. We're not good. So we, f- we finished 11th and party for three days. And then, uh, <laughs> then you watch the finals. There's 16,000 people there for the finals of floorball. I'm sitting there. It's a wild atmosphere. It's loud as hell because Europeans just love to scream all day. <laughs> and what like it's insane to think like for, coming from Canada you're like oh this is some like gym class sport activity it's like you go there it's it's bigger than hockey in terms of enrollment uh, in terms of how many kids are enrolled to play in four leagues the money isn't as much as ice hockey when you get to the pro level but the attendance is there in terms of like world floorball championships and stuff like that yeah you wouldn't you wouldn't believe it it is insane but what a what a fun sport to watch too like if you want to if you love hockey just watch sweden versus finland floorball finals the pace at which the ball moves and how fast you have to think and react it's i can't even follow it with my two eyes like i don't know how they do it how big of a field is it so it's uh uh, what it it basically it's just bigger than a basketball pitch Okay. um longer than a basketball or a basketball court sorry so a little bit longer than a basketball uh court there uh and maybe a little bit wider as well but pretty much uh, on par with that
2: i would have eaten that up i remember growing up we would play like european handball in gym class and, like, yeah you have a stick but it was like the same concept of hockey right like you kind of you're moving the puck back and forth you're going back like that would yeah. been
0: cool Hopefully. Did you ever play uh, just, like, gym class with those flimsy sticks? The ones oh, yeah. That like, yeah. Yeah my,
2: like, senior, yeah, my senior year in high school, my gym teacher <laughs> got, like, really sick. So, we had a sub, and he came in, and, like, he's like, all right, guys, what do you want to do? And we're like, well, let's
0: play floor hockey. And we played well, floor go. hockey the entire year. Like, Yeah. Incredible. So Yeah, like, I remember, like, loving doing that. Even those sticks were shit. Like, they were so bad um they were like literally a five flex every time you shot it it would just like go not where you wanted it to but i remember loving doing it and now uh like my high school just bought a set of floorball sticks and they do that instead okay. and what's great about it too is not only is it more fun it's more fast paced like you actually get better cardio i compared my heart rate to playing ball hockey or floor hockey compared to floorball and it's always way higher because the pace of play So better for gym class there. But it's also way safer Mm -hmm. as long as you do the rules correctly because when the ball goes in the air, the highest you can touch it with your stick is is, uh, your knees. So you can't hit it with your stick above your knees. But any time the game, your sticks, never up here. Never. Like, unless you're, like, shooting a slap shot, you can do that. Of course, in gym, you can – because people aren't as good, you can change the rules to make it waist tight. But at the pro level, you come up as high as you want, but your follow-through you have to control – so if they're right in front of you, you can't just follow through in their face kind of thing, but you should never be hitting a ball out of the air. You should never have a, a blade near your face ever. So you don't have to wear gloves. You don't have to wear a helmet, nothing. Like you literally just need a stick and shoes and you're ready to play floorball.
2: Yo, Yeah. Garrison, we should buy floorball sticks and like donate them to like an elementary school around here.
1: It would be huge. I mean, that's kind of what the hockey journey was, was about is like we should do giving more access to kids. That's a good idea. Yeah, no, you
0: should to do that. And, and you could even do it where, like, I've seen guys, they buy sticks for, like, community centers or whatever, and then they, like, work out a deal where maybe they get a deal on, like, gym uh, rental, and then you guys can play with your buddies, like, yeah, once a week, sure. just rip a floorball game. I swear to God, anyone who has played high-level hockey, like, we've had junior A teams, like, a uh, whole bunch of triple A teams play it. They freaking love it. Yeah. Like I don't think I've ever met a kid who played high-level hockey that wasn't like intensely into this floorball thing. <laughs> like just they're going balls out. Like no one's good at the start because yeah. the ball's still so light, hard, harder to control than a puck. But when you you're good at hockey, you pick it up very quickly. And some of the moves these kids are using, and like the passes and the set plays, you begin to realize like you know floorball is a really good option for understanding systems because. We all know like as coaches, like, you know, you spend an hour on the ice working systems and telling people where they need to be. I'd probably rather use that ice since it's like 300 to 400 an hour for like development of skills and working on 2v1s, 1v1s, all that stuff. Work on the system stuff off the ice, like rent a gym, get your floorball sticks and work on where you need to be situationally. And then when you get onto the ice, it's like, all right, we already know this like mental stuff. Let's put it into the physical work and, and get it done. So with kids, especially if you want to teach them any like gap control, any type of system or power plane movement formations and stuff, that's less movement, do it off the ice. You can use four ball and save a ton of money over time. Absolutely. I think
2: if I was like a high school hockey coach, I, I remember when we played high school, like we would meet once a week and like we'd go lift or like, do yeah. <laughs> and like nobody would actually do that. You, you grab four ball sticks. You're, it's not ice hockey but you have the same camaraderie you're still learning like the teams are still learning you're still playing hockey you're getting your cardio in I feel yeah. like that have been a hell of a lot more productive than us pretending
0: to lift and then just going and eating chicken wings <laughs> absolutely no it's a great uh, great off ice tool like not only team building but skill building and even even just once a week man it's just it's a fun thing to, to try and, and it can actually make you better too absolutely man all right so we, we've had you
2: on here for a while before we wrap it up, uh, one question before the five—the uh, five most, the biggest things or favorite things—what, where is like the coolest place you've played? Because we've seen you play on like some unreal lakes. Like, if you had to pick one spot that
0: you've played hockey, like, what would your spot be? Uh, I would say it's Invermere Lake. It's it's where I did the Molson Canadian shoot. Uh, yeah. It's basically <clears throat> a rink that's only accessible by helicopter. Uh, and I say I say that's my my favorite one because it was just like uh, I remember flying in and just being like, this is surreal. It's like a dream. And it's, you, you can't hear anything other than the sound of ice on the skates. You're surrounded by mountains and the sounds are so crisp. And it, it really, it just forced you to remember like, why you started playing the game in the first place. Like I stopped thinking about like development as a whole and like, you know, all this other side, side stuff. And I was just like, this is me five years old playing hockey again. for the first time i'm a kid again like this is why i started playing and i think every nhl player can tell you the same thing they do it whenever they have the winter classic they tell the stories where the passion started most of them if they had out, outdoor rinks it started there and that's yeah. one of the places that really brought it home for me and it was at the start of my youtube career when i started it. i was just blown away by the the whole experience so what a time
2: that's unreal. When do you do like a 3v3 tournament, NHL 20? They bring you to like this one outdoor rink and there's a helicopter there. I wonder if it's the same place that you were Maybe, playing. yeah.
0: That'd be, They probably based it off that. That's <laughs> unreal. that.
2: Uh, all right. Your top five favorite things, most memorable things that you've experienced since doing this stuff.
0: All right. So uh, first one is exactly what I just said. It's that Molson Canadian experience is, is number one there. Um, number two would be another Molson Canadian experience. It was a rooftop rink. They built a rink on a skyscraper in Toronto. Uh, I got to play on that. They invited me out there to shoot a video, uh, and it was cool because I got to have my brother and my sister out there. My sister filmed. My brother played goalie, so we had a good family <laughs> time there, just casually on a skyscraper in Toronto playing hockey. Um, number three would be the shootout with uh, Barkov. We did a shootout on synthetic ice on the beach in Florida. Yep um obviously it was just a, a fun time a really weird uh thing to have a rink on a beach but really cool He was a wicked dude to, to talk with and I, I picked his brain about a lot of shootout stuff that was really cool um four would probably be Japan I loved traveling there I just I just loved the culture there obviously very different from here uh, just the I loved the uh the focus level there so I had Six, seven, eight-year-old kids. I never once had to tell them to come in when you blew, blew the whistle. It was I couldn't believe it. Yeah. They're so disciplined over there. Um, they listen well. They're very kind, very accommodating. I yeah. loved my whole time there. Uh, what a great experience. And then number five, um, I would probably say Sweden. Uh, I loved going to Sweden as well. Same kind of thing as Japan. Just the culture there was incredible very welcoming. I got to meet and talk with a lot of very thoughtful coaches and they were very, it's different in North America, like North America, everyone wants to like protect their, protect their own. They want to protect their, their knowledge and their systems and their skill development models over there. Not so much. They're very open-minded. They're, they're just trying to help. And it's understandable because in Sweden, they have a very small sample size of players when you compare it to Canada, USA, So they take great pride and same with Finland. They take great pride in the players that they, they uh, turn over to become NHL players. And the reason is because they all share, whether it's like a goalie coach sharing with a shooting coach, what they're seeing, whether it's uh, another team coach sharing with a different team coach, like from everything I saw, they're all about sharing uh, just, it was all about the kids and we lose sight of that because you know, we monetize hockey quite a bit here. We try to protect it a bit. I understand it. And if you do that, that's, that's your business. But I, I, to me personally, I find a lot of value in, you know, giving free information away. Um, nothing wrong with monetizing what you do, but I think, uh, you know, being able to help people for free in a sport that costs a lot of money and a lot of people can't play our sport to begin with because of the cost. I think it's a very needed thing to give some uh, stuff away for free there. No, I, I think you made great points. I, I wonder how
2: long it's going to take before you see your first NHL European coach. I don't think it's going to be that much longer. Uh, no. You only recycle the same people over and over and over again before you start bringing other people. And if you look at Sweden, they're a powerhouse pretty much anytime time there's any sort of hockey involved. Same with Finland. So yeah. I, I think that's going to happen a lot sooner rather than later. But, Dale, do you have any last questions for Pat?
1: Not, not really a last question, more so just uh, appreciation for you coming on. I think one of the one of my favorite points you made was, like, you only got so many people in your corner and should trust those people's advice and not worry about everybody else. Um, just, like, kind of go with your heart and do it. And it's applicable to kind of hockey but all of life. So, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Oh,
0: no worries, man. That's, I think – I learned that from a book. Like I'm not a, I'm not a very wise person, but I I listened to wise people. And that made a lot of sense to me. Like how many people can you honestly say, know what your potential is? And it's, it's funny because a lot of people allow others to define them uh, and and they've met them twice or they saw a couple of video clips of them and it's ridiculous. And it's, it's, it's embarrassing that people feel the need to tell a person what their potential is based on a few experiences, a few videos, like it's, it's so dumb, but you know, hopefully these young kids, like we're all impressionable when we're young. Just hope these kids realize that and and understand that, uh, you know, they're going to be the ones to define what they're capable of, not someone who doesn't know them. (laughs) No. And, and Pav, thanks again, man, for
2: coming on. This was a treat. Uh, We were super excited having you on. And I say this every time Garrison makes fun of me, but hockey people cut from the same cloth, man, like, We, we appreciate the game. We love the game and we I don't know, we're trying to give people a voice and I'm sure everybody listening to this podcast is thrilled to have you on and just keep doing what you're doing, dude, because people like look for that shit. People like depend on that. Again, Garrison mentioned it earlier. We didn't have this shit growing up. Like we didn't have the ability to go on Instagram and like see all these cool new moves and like really learn the game. So you keep doing your thing, man. You're going to crush it. And, uh, yeah, thanks for coming on.
0: Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. And, uh, yeah, great talk with you guys, great questions. Awesome. Got You